all face storms in our lives, don't we? And today we're going to see Paul and his friends face a big one. Here's Pastor David. So um, let's get into it. I, I have had a number of experiences in the ocean. I have kind of this love not love as much, um, I didn't want to say hate, uh, relationship with the ocean. Some of you have heard some of my stories. You remember the, the one maybe from some time back. This is where it pays off to have been here for a long time. Uh, some time back, I told you the one where I went out and I was boogie boarding. It was like winter time. It was all dark and like stormy and whatever. And I'm going out and, the, you know, out in Oregon, the ocean is basically black. It's not that nice blue thing that you see in Hawaii. It's just in the wintertime, it's just this black mess. You can't see anything. You just assume that Jaws is under you the entire time, right? And so I'm going out there, and I mean, out of nowhere, and probably, you know, this far in front of me, the sea lion pops up out of the water, oh, like that, right? Right in front of me. Um, and I don't, you know, people think sea lions are cute. I don't know why, because you obviously haven't had one pop up in front of you. And yeah, it was scary, right? It was scary because that's a huge animal in a place where I'm not in my element, right? Not that I'm that fast on the ground, but I'm really not fast in the water. And so I had that. I've had, I told you about the time where I was a little kid and I almost got sucked out in the riptide um, in California and the guy saved me. And, and I've had a couple other times like that where I've been kind of, you know, out in the ocean and sucked back, you know, and it looked like it was over. It looked like it was over, and, and yet I was saved. Obviously, I'm here, so you know the story doesn't end. Yeah, and I'm still out in the ocean somewhere. Um, I, I was saved each time. Each time I prayed hard, each time I was saved. Um, but it didn't seem like it at the time when I was sitting there, and the shore was getting further away, and I didn't know what I could do, and I didn't know how to fight that big ocean. But I did, I did pray. I did look to the Lord. And the Lord has saved me a number of times. And so today we're going to see Paul and Luke and, and their crew uh, in a bad situation in the ocean. Um, this is kind of an exciting uh, chapter, chapter 27 of Acts. It's sort of action-packed. We're going to see this, this storm and the ships. and the, it's, it's pretty exciting stuff. Um, but as you think about it, and this is a much worse situation than I've ever been in, but as you uh, think through this and as you're going through it, I want you to see what we can learn from it. I want you to think about um, the fact that sometimes you're in a storm. And I want you to think about when you're in a storm, how you deal how you react, how you walk through that when a storm comes. As we study through the scripture today, I want you to think about that, and then we're going to come back to that a little bit later. But let's, let's get into it. Acts 27, where are we? As you may remember, uh, Paul has been arrested. He's been in front of two governors, Felix and Festus, um, two, two governors, and then this client, King Agrippa, he was also in front of him, not so much for a trial, but sort of to explain himself. So he's been through all of this, and remember that the Jews came, and, and they continued to accuse Paul, and Paul eventually says, look, I appeal to Caesar. Remember, he's a Roman citizen, so he has the right to appeal to Caesar. Once Festus says, hey, do you want to go to Jerusalem and let me judge you there? Because he could see that Festus was sort of kind of giving in to the Jewish leadership. Uh, at that point, Paul realized, this is not going to work. I've just got to appeal to Caesar. He does that. And so where we are now is that Paul is about to be sent to Rome to see Caesar. And if we remember this from a couple chapters ago, in chapter 23, Paul had been arrested, and the commander of the garrison had brought him before the Sanhedrin. He had come back um, after that harrowing experience where they about pulled him in pieces, and he's sitting there, and Jesus actually comes to him. And so we have Jesus saying to Paul in, in chapter 23, verse 11, it says this, but the following night the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. 
So we know, here's a spoiler alert that Paul already knows. What we see him going through today, we know that he can't die because Jesus has told him he's going to bear witness at Rome. And it does not seem like Paul is going to make it in this story. And yet we can, and I think he was, and we'll talk through it a little bit, aware of the fact that he had to make it. Because when Jesus says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. And so let's get started. Um, Chapter 27, if you have your your Bible, you can open that up. Your phone, we'll have it on the screen. However you want to read it, you just have it your way. But let's get into it. Chapter 27, verse 1, it says, And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan Regiment. So I want you to notice up front the word we. Of course, we means that Luke... Who, who was the one who the Holy Spirit inspired to write the book of Acts, was with them. So this is one of those places, and we've seen others, where Luke is definitely with Paul, and, and, he's, and he's going together with Paul, and so he's an actual, full-on eyewitness to the events that we're going to look at today, and that's the reason why he's able to be so clear and concise and, and, and bring so much to the story, because he was there. He was there. It says, so entering a ship of Adramidium, we put to sea meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. Now, some of you may or may not remember Aristarchus, but Aristarchus has actually been in the story a few times. Back in, I think it was chapter 19, you may remember that Paul and the, and the boys were in Ephesus. Um, well, boys and girls were in Ephesus. And, and the silversmiths, remember Demetrius, the silversmith, was getting all sideways because all these people were coming to Christ and less people were buying his little statues uh, of the god Diana, the goddess Diana. And so he got upset and he riled people up against Paul. And instead of Paul, they end up grabbing Aristarchus, and I think a guy named Gaius, and dragging them into the theater. That's Aristarchus. So he was with Paul then. And then we see later on, I believe in chapter 20, we see that Aristarchus was with Paul when he left to make his way to Jerusalem, which is the most recent trip, right? He comes to Jerusalem. That's where he gets arrested, and that's what started this whole thing. And now we realize that Aristarchus has been with Paul in Caesarea for the whole two years that he's been imprisoned there. So Aristarchus, and by the way, later you'll see that Aristarchus is in Rome with Paul and actually is arrested and imprisoned. If you read Colossians 4.10, you can see where Aristarchus is actually in prison with Paul in Rome. At this point, he does not seem to be in prison. At that point, he is, I'm assuming, because he's preaching Jesus Christ in Rome, he gets arrested. But this is a friend. This guy's a friend, and you don't hear about him a lot. But that's, you don't hear about a lot of people a lot, right? We've talked about how, how the church and the ministry works and how there's some people who are a little bit more sort of out front and people sort of know who they are. But then there's all the people who are making, actually making everything happen, actually doing all the work. And Aristarchus is one of these guys who's been consistent. This is true Christ-following friendship. I mean, if I had been dragged into the theater by that mob in Ephesus because I had been hanging out with Paul, I'm done right? I'm finding new buddies that don't get me dragged into the theater by a mob that wants to mess me up. Aristarchus stuck with it. He didn't just stick with it there. He kept following Paul, knowing that Paul's always getting himself into trouble, right? Stays with him, stays with him while he's imprisoned in, in, in Caesarea all these years, and now he's headed to Rome with him. I mean, this is serious, serious Christian friendship, and it's not because Paul is such a great guy, although I'm sure he was a nice guy, but you can be the nicest guy in the world, and maybe it's not worth being around all of that. Aristarchus loved Jesus. And because he loved Jesus, and Jesus had clearly told Aristarchus that his job was to stay close and minister to Paul, and in that ministry, he did it. 
And he continued to do it, and he was faithful to Paul. I hope all of us, as we go through things, and as we, as we walk through this life, will have those who will stick with us as Aristarchus stuck with Paul. All right, let's keep going. Verse 3. And the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, that was a centurion, remember, um, treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. So they get to Sidon. Julius lets Paul go. There's Christians there in Sidon, right? The churches, we remember when the people had dispersed from Jerusalem some time back, years and decades ago. And one of the places where they probably had a church was in Sidon. And so Paul shows up. And what do the Christians do? Oh, here's Paul. Here's a Christian guy. I don't know that Paul knew all these people, but they, they knew who he was. They knew he was a Christian they, and so on. And so because back then there weren't denominations, there would have just been the church at Sidon. When he comes into town, these people immediately minister to his needs. I hope that someday Acts Church would be like that. I wish that Christ Church would be more like that. That when a new believer was in town, they knew exactly where to go to receive care, comfort, and all those kinds of things because believers were so connected to one another. Unfortunately, we can't get into all that today. Sometimes we're not as connected. But they were here, and Paul was able to go, and he was able to uh, be shown love and welcome by these people in Sidon. All right, it says this. When we had put to sea from there... We sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. All right. So they get to Myra. Now, you may or may not know that there's a very famous Christian leader that came from Myra. It was a man named Nicholas, was from Myra. And eventually, he was sainted and became Saint Nicholas. You may know him as Santa Claus, okay? Um, he's from Myra, so hey, now you know something new for your trivia, crack game, or whatever. Uh, Santa Claus was from Myra. Uh, he probably does not deliver you presents, as it's most likely he was martyred during the Diocletian um, persecution. So that's not happening, but that is where the guy who, the, who sort of this thing came up around uh, and Santa Claus came up around was from. He's from Myra. It says this in verse 6, There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. All right, so what they would have done is, it's probably a smaller ship that they had come on to this point. Then they get to this bigger port, and they get on this big ship that has grain. And these were big ships that could fit a lot of people. And the reason there were these big grain ships that would have been going towards Rome is because Rome had about a million people, okay? And they needed food. They constantly needed to import grain. And so these really big ships would come, they'd load up with wheat and other grains, they would take it to Rome. And so that's what they've done. They found one of those ships that's big enough to, to fit them all, and they're headed out towards, uh, towards Rome. It says, when we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmone. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lasea. So here's, here's the deal. When you're traveling west in this area, at this time of the year, it is, at any time of the year, it's difficult. At this time of the year, it's incredibly difficult because the winds are always against you. So he's talking about sailing slowly. He wasn't kidding. You could take a trip from Rome east the other way, and it might take you 10 days to travel the same exact route going west 50 to 70 days. So you're talking about a significantly, you're fighting the whole time. Just imagine, you know, you're trying to go upstream, right? You're fighting against the wind the whole time. So when he says, we were sailing very slowly, that's what he meant. Very slowly, they finally get themselves over to Crete, and they ended up in a place called Fair Havens. Now, I've got a map 
um, of what they've done so far. If you take a look at where they started, right, and they've, and they've taken this trip from Caesarea, Sidon to Myra, down to, to Crete, where you see them now at Fair Havens. And so right now they're safe. They've made it somewhere. They're at, they're at Fair Havens. Let's see how things go from then. Verse 9. Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, men... I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there. Also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. All right. So, a bunch of time has been spent sailing. As I just told you, it takes a long time to try to make that trip west. Now, Paul realizes this is bad. It says the fast, right, after the fast. Now, the fast uh, is, is, a, is a Jewish holiday, the Day of Atonement. You may know it as Yom Kippur, okay? And, and this has already passed, which means we're at least late September, early October has already passed. So, they're in the dangerous season. The time of the year when you do not sail a boat in this area. You just don't do it because you're going to die. And Paul knows that. In common sense, he's saying, listen, if you guys keep pushing this, we're going to die. We're going to lose the ship. We're going to lose the cargo. We're going to lose our lives. Now, I think Paul knew that he wouldn't lose his life because, as we said, Jesus has already told him he's going to make it to Rome, but he might be somewhat concerned for them. He's saying, this is a bad idea, but these guys get together and they decide to push. Now, you've got to ask yourself, why were they even doing this in the first place? Why didn't they winter way back earlier on? Why didn't they stay with Santa Claus, right, and Myra or whatever? Um, that's where I would have stayed. But why, why didn't they do that? Why did they keep pushing? Well, let me tell you, uh, like I said, Rome needed tons and tons of grain. A million people eat a lot of grain. And so Claudius, the, the emperor, the Caesar, he actually made basically a deal where he said, listen, I'm going to import grain all through even the winter, this, this horrible time to try to bring ships, but I will ensure the ships against loss if they get lost at sea. So these ship owners and so on, it was worth it to them to take the risk, especially if they weren't on the ship, uh, to take the risk to send these ships to Rome because if they lost them, the emperor was going to pay them for them. And if they made it there, they were going to get paid for the, for the grain. So it was a win-win for them. So because they needed so much grain, they would push like this. Now, in this case, they're actually not pushing all the way to Rome. They just want to get out of Fair Havens and over to Phoenix, another harbor, because they prefer that harbor. I don't know why. I don't know why. But that's what they want to do. And so uh, let's see what happens to them. It says, When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. Okay. The soft south wind was blowing. Do, 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 right? And everybody's like, oh, hey, it's all going to work out. See, this, we're, you're wrong, Paul. We got the soft south wind blowing. Everything's going to be good. And so they get on the, sh- on the ship and they start to take off. And what do you know? Within a very short time, they get jacked. All kinds of jacked up. Uh, the word Euroclidon is used here, um, and that is a, that's actually a word that's a combination of a, a Latin and a Greek word, but basically it's a nor'easter, okay? It's a northeast wind that's, that's typhoon strength, okay? Typhoon, hurricane-type strength. This is a huge, horrible wind that has come through, and it takes the ship just way out of there. 
What's interesting about the word that he uses, you're applied in here, just as an aside, is that for a long time they, they assumed that, that Luke made the word up. Those are the Bible scholars who were critical of whatever, and you know they're always looking for stuff. We've talked about this before. Where, where could Luke have said something that was wrong? So for many, many, many years, these scholars said, oh, Luke just was creative and just made that word up. As opposed to it being showing Luke's knowledge of having been there and of knowing the language that they use. So later on, go figure, the archaeologists have found an inscription in Latin uh, in a city in North Africa that shows that that word actually specifically was used to refer to a northeast wind. So Luke, far from making stuff up and being creative, was actually being incredibly precise about the exact language that would have been used in that region in that time to describe the wind that hit them. And so once again, we know that Acts is about facts. That's right. Acts is about facts. Okay. Let's see what happens here. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. Okay, it's the skiff. That's going to be the kind of like the lifeboat, the little boat that's out the back. They would, have, they would have normally dragged that boat on a normal cruise where they're just making it. That boat would have normally been in the water behind them being pulled by ropes. But in the storm, you can't let that happen because, of course, what will happen? It'll fill up with water and start dragging them down. So with difficulty, probably because it's full of water, they pulled that boat up onto the ship. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis Sands, they struck sail and so were driven. So they would have at this time uh, done something with the ship. They think, they don't know for sure, but they think, the historians think that what they did was they would take these, these ropes, these cables, they would go over the front of the ship and bring them around and kind of bring them up and tie them tight so that the boards on the ribs of the ship would stay in and not break up if they hit a sandbar or get jacked up by the waves. So that's what they're doing. He's describing literally these guys are trying to make the ship more sound. Because this is a horrible storm that they're going through. And they talk about the Sirtis Sands with this, this horrible, horrible sandbar that has jacked up tons of ships that they're heading into. So that's, that's what they're afraid of. And it says, And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now, now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. So they're over it, right? At this point, they've been jacked up for so long, they have no idea what's going on. They can't even, there's no sun, there's no stars, there's no nothing. The, the, the storm is complete. They cannot see which way is up, sideways, back, forth. They're going to die. That's what they think. They're giving up hope. They assume that they cannot be saved. And so Paul comes in with a word of encouragement. Let's look at verse 21. But after a long absence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. <laughs> right? And, and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men. For I believe that it will be, I believe God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. So, Paul first says, Y'all should listen to me. 
right? Which I don't think he's like, I told you so. I don't think that's his attitude. I think his point is, you might want to start listening to me now, right? I think that, that Paul it has, has now shown some, so has gotten some juice towards being sort of a leader here. And so he's saying, hey, you guys, you guys probably should listen to me in the first place, but now I'm going to say something, and maybe you should listen to it now. And I think Paul is starting to get some respect, so he tells him, the, the cool thing is, there's all these people, and of course, these are not believers. He's got a couple guys with him. But the rest of these people, these are, these are people from the Greek and Roman world. They worship all kinds of other uh, deities or nobody at all. These are, these are not believers. And yet Paul gets to say, look, I'm going to tell you about the one true God and what he's told me. Ever had a huge storm in your life? We all do. And when those things come up, what do you tell those around you? What a great example we see here of Paul telling them about the truth of God. Let's remember his example when the waves get big in our lives, too. And of course, if you need that truth in your life, we'd love to help you find peace and hope in Christ. Call us at 360-885-9000 or send us an email. Use info at axchurchnw.org. Thank you for listening. And I hope you'll be right here next time for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.